we believe that we lack today 5 million developers and we will like 8 million developers by 2030. So that's worldwide, that, that's a lot. So now a lot of APIs are published in a way that's it's to be used by non-developers or no-coders, as, as we say, right? I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity auth, versioning, and more. Welcome back to API Intersection. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Jason Harmon, CTO at Stoplight. Yet another uh, old friend from the API world today, uh, a fellow that I've spent time with uh, in, I can't tell you how many cities around the world, uh, in large part because uh, he created a way for us to travel around the world in the name of uh, API Days. Uh, so today's guest is uh, Mehdi. Uh, and Mehdi, I'm not going to say your last name. I never do uh, because it's hard for me to say. So you say it and tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> Hello, Jason. Yes, uh, my name is Meji Mejawi. I'm indeed founder and chairman of API Days conferences, uh, 10 conferences a year in 10 different countries to uh, spread the API mindset on the business and technical level and connect the humans behind APIs. So if, you, uh, if you've never heard about API Days, you can take a look. But, but yes, so this is where I met you, Jason, and a lot, a lot of people in the API space. Uh, it's always a great moment to share about uh, uh, you know what's new, What's uh, what's still uh, what's still best practice? What's uh, uh, what people are doing on on uh, innovatively on, on APIs and API mindset? Cool. Well, uh, you've done that forever. Uh, so, what are you up to these days uh, besides API days? So, besides API days, uh, well, uh, I'm I'm currently CEO of uh, uh, Olymp. So, Olymp it's a, a assistant AI for uh, a data protection uh, that delivers an, an API for uh, enabling uh, lawyers or uh, startup CEOs or C-levels to integrate, uh, let's say, uh, legal capabilities and data protection into their systems. Right on. This guy's uh, an intro king. I think you win for brevity and accuracy. I love it. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, thinking about what should we talk about for me was pretty easy uh, when I sat down this morning to, to plan for the show. Um, you know, you're a guy that's been all over the world, talk to people in every culture and region, uh, and you do it on a regular basis. So, you know, my thought was, let's, uh, let's kind of go through like where you see trends. I, I know you guys have done a lot of work in the past on like building landscape maps and things like that too. Um, so I guess, you know, what do you think in the, the last year or so is kind of the biggest trend, uh, coming around in APIs? So really last year, so if you ask me the, the last year main trend on APIs, uh, I would I would divide it into two parts. Uh, the, the security aspect has been really important. You know, post-COVID, oh, so many companies have opened endpoint, uh, you know, like not not even monitoring, you know, it was it was just business critical to go digital. Uh, and so they were they were having they have opened these shadow APIs. Um, all over the place, and they don't know actually where it's their attack surface, where are they? So API security is, has been really an important uh, uh, topic. So really the last 18 months, we've seen many, many companies raising a lot of money and a company really, really interested on the topic. So it has been really, really important. 
Um, besides that, I also add the, the, the privacy regulation aspect because security and privacy quite work together. So some companies are trying to like also adopt uh, privacy regulation checks when they do security checks on their APIs. So now they don't verify only the security aspect, you know, the uh, broken object level authorization and stuff like that, but they also check if, if this is a personal information, is it a sensitive information? Is it allowed to go in that country? So they, they do more verification on privacy and, and when they do on security level. So that's really one important trend we've seen. The second trend, there, there are many trends, but let's say I, I, I try to put them by order of importance, uh, is the, the final maturity of event-driven architecture. You know, like people, be, we've talked a, a, a lot about that in the, over the last five, six years, but now company really at the conference, they go at the event-driven architecture track, the async API specification talks are highly, highly attended. And company now uh, are pushed hardly by the business to go for real time, for faster application, faster response. Uh, and so classic REST polling APIs are uh, cred the style are, uh, are, are begins to be obsolete for that use case. So the use case is, driv is driving the adoption of event-driven architecture. Even if sometimes people don't know why they need it, <laughs> but they have heard about it, so they're interested about it. Uh, but it's like microservices like seven years ago or GraphQL uh, six years ago or whatever. Like, you know, it's the hype and the use case in the same time. So people will 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 understand that the, the use case is driving the, the, the adoption of a technology and not the opposite. So that's really two important trends that we've seen over the last 18 months. Yeah, uh, you know, I think this is going to be true across all the things that we talk about that when the, the hype kicks in, you always have to remind yourself that let's let's see what this is good at, right? And I, I think we've seen that with like GraphQL, like we're going to make all of our architecture in GraphQL and, you know, like that thing's going to happen. Uh, or, you know, now it's like everything should be an event and it's like, oh, good luck tracing, right? Like, so uh, hype comes and goes, but I think uh, that's the other bit I'd love to do here is just drill down a step into what, what do we see that's kind of working so far? Or to your point, what problem is this likely to solve in this space? So backing up to the security thing a little bit, um, just because I think this one is it's big. I've spent a lot of time looking and talking to people. And um, I guess the, the, the big question for me is like within kind of the traditional technology security world, like do folks get it yet? <laughs> So uh, you're right, but let's also celebrate the fact that API management has become a commodity. You know, over you know from the the the, the twenty oh five. It, it's it's funny that you mentioned this because just yesterday there was, uh, and I know by the time this airs, it'll have been a few months back, but um, had a bit of a you know, there's been some back and forth with. Uh, uh, Mark O'Neill at Gartner saying it's not API management that's the commodity; it's the gateways. And I actually think he might be right on that. And it's that I think there's a there's a redefinition of what API management means now that goes yep. well beyond uh, just the gateway. So, yeah, this is exactly uh, my point. The fact that I want to celebrate, let's say, API management is dead long-live API management because the first era of API management was, was just like putting gateways and forcing control at the gateway level, using it as a path through to know what should go out or, or not. Now it's over. It, it, we, we did it. It works. 
congrats, right? Congrats to all these companies. I remember, you know, Sonoa Systems, the old name of Apigee, and, you know, like this SOA software at the time and the Mashree and other like, like that, right? Okay, congrats, guys, you you made it, right? So that, that thank you, thank you. But the thing is now, now we have the second level of API management, which is the, the deeper version where actually there is now a full life cycle. It's not just a gateway. Uh, there is the, the the practice. There is from the strategy, the design, the development, documentation, the governance, the the monitoring, the the promotion, the deployment, uh, the, the 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 development, the testing. You know, like so many so many other things that have been added. Just I think a gateway, and so yeah, I just wanted to to celebrate that because security was part of that gateway idea. You know, the gateway was there also for there for security, but there we have we've seen two realms fighting with each other. We have the identity and access management realm, you know, that was owned by other people from the CISO, chief information security officers, and the API management world, we're mostly on CIO world, right? And so now on the security aspect, they begin to to collide, right? There is some collision and uh, yes, and sometimes some companies are don't know what they do. Is it still IAM or is it API management just done the right way? And so this debate is not over and there is a, it, quite some tension uh, uh, there, but maybe what may solve it is the DevSecOps approach, you know, like putting security into the, the DevOps and CICD pipeline. So shifting left security, as we say. So that makes the API management world winning a little bit more. Uh, and sh- But there's also the shield right aspect, the shield right on, you know, be sure of your uh, surface attacks and how you protect these, which still on the IAM and security world. So shift left, shield right, two vision of security around APIs that are fighting each other, but they are they will be merging in, in the next in the next years for sure. Yeah, it's interesting because I've heard this notion that like, you know, DevSecOps is a shift left. And maybe it's because, you know, I'm a design guy, but to me it's like if you're doing it at the ops level, it's it's like a just in time before runtime, right? Like it's at the absolute last minute. So it's just barely left to me. It's like there's also, I think, getting your API design right so that you're specifying security in a consistent way. Um, I looked at folks like 42Crunch and um, that sort of thing. is like, uh, I think, where the, the real shift left is at. But I agree with you, too, that like this is definitely a belt and suspenders kind of topic, right? <laughs> You've got to have... Uh, good design, but you got to make sure that it actually works when it goes out the door. So I see that merge coming too. Yeah, in the book, uh, Continuous API Management, I co-authored, you know, with Mike Munson, Eric Vilde, and Ronnie Mitra, we have uh, the 10 pillars of API management. And one one of the first pillar is the API design. But we we say that in this design phase, it's not just the interface design. It's not just the path, the, 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 the methods, you know, the, the resource design. It's also... The, you need to also to design the performance at this level. You need also to design the security at this stage, right? And you may go further into later stage, like publishing, whatever, and maybe be back on the design when you see things are wrong. But, you know, shifting, like, shifting left is always a good idea. You know, it comes from Toyota, actually, right? It comes from Toyota manufacturing, lean manufacturing, you know, like every defect, every defect should be detect early as yep. possible in the in, in the production uh, uh, process. So it just comes from there. But now how do we do it with the uh, with APIs and, um, and shipping software in production and publishing APIs uh, in production? So that that's this idea. But we put too much on the developer shoulders. 
you know, so now we have the DevOps. So we need the, the developer needs to code in a way that's it's already shippable. Now it needs to be secured. Uh, we baptize the term DevRegOps, so checking privacy regulation at the dev level. Uh, that will be too much just for the developer. Just a developer just want to ship code that works. Why we put so much uh, responsibility on his or her shoulders? Yeah. Because it's not the right yeah, place. Very true. Right? Well, and I think this is also, uh, I guess this is a sidetrack, but uh, you know, we see this kind of more inclusive process around that API design that you're uh, you know, kind of referring to, that there's a lot of other things to consider besides you know, what's the basic interface going to be. Um, but before I go down the rabbit trail too far, I guess the other perspective I had on uh, the security stuff is uh, I think kind of the security world moved out of this like secure the network boundary uh, as the only way for a long time and kind of resisted that change. And then took a step further into kind of, you know, how does actually cloud work uh, and, you know, how do applications work uh, a bit more. But I feel like some of these things are getting down into really the nitty gritty of how these APIs work. And to your earlier point, there's a proliferation of ways they work. And I feel like there is a layer in which the traditional security world is just going to have to have tools that give them a green light because I doubt, I can't imagine that, that those folks are gonna really understand the, the the impact of those things. But curious to hear what you think. No, you're right. There, there's a, a great book that, it's not a great book by itself, but it's great by the idea he provides. It's called Total Resistance. Actually, it's a it's a war uh, a, a war manual from a Switzerland like a soldier. So you know, Switzerland is quite neutral in many many conflicts. But he's made, he called it total resistance. And he say a nation will never uh, surrender because they failed, you know, they are occupied or whatever, if everyone in the population is still resisting at any time. So he gives some ideas like, you know, if you're, for example, uh, uh, a waiter at a restaurant owned by an occupant, like just break some plates sometimes, you know, like, uh, you know, be slower, be like, uh, you know, kill the whole machine by every bolt and every nut, right? Uh, so like uh, if you, you know, like every everything, you should participate to the movement of resistance. It's called total resistance. And I think security is like these topics like evangelism and others. But as an organization, you need to make everyone aware of the, the, the challenges, the fights that the organization face. And security is an important challenge. And so the shifting left idea is that, yeah, it's not the realm of just the, the CISO in his ivory tower, just securing the network because he's in this castle and he just have high barrier. But when they're in the barrier, okay, it's over. You know, uh, they, 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 you let people in, it's completely over. And also this barrier kills also the ability to innovate with partners, with ecosystems, you know, to be open and finally embrace uh, you know, the real idea of the API economy. And this is why it didn't work in the past. Also, you know, security people were too concerned about working with others uh, and, and they were shutting down the potential business, right? So if you have this total resistance idea, you can shift left to everyone. So everyone is aware. Everyone is an evangelist of what the company does. Like Xerox was saying in the 80s, everyone is a sales. You know, you nobody's answering the phone. You're just uh, the groom. You open, you, you listen to the phone, you take the notes, it may be a lead for the company later. So security is now like this. You know, everybody should be aware about like, what are, are we doing something 
you know, which goes in the security level we want. But if it's decentralized at every people level in the in the mind share, in the global mind share, yes, you finally have the, the reward of being open, but also the security, you have one million words, right, in, into, into, uh, into the company that actually think about it, right? And it's more mindset than just the technology, security, right? Uh, I've seen many companies with code reviews, for example, uh, you know, uh, so more people talking about it. That's already something because, you know, you don't let things uh, uh, go, go out in the wild. Yeah, great points. Um, I guess privacy was the other kind of the other side of this coin that you mentioned. And, um, you, you know, having been in some higher compliance oriented industries before uh, things like fintech and, and travel, like when you're in those industries, that's obvious, but uh, it seems like there's a broader awareness now with uh, things like GDPR, SOC 2, some of the ISO stuff internationally that's increasingly becoming a requirement to sell uh, a product, right? Um, that it's sort of like starting to apply to everyone and not just those high compliance industries. Uh, so that's my sense of it, but uh, I'm curious to see if you have more than that. No, you, no, you're right. And actually, this regulation like SOC 2 or, for example, ISO 27001 20, are virals. Is that if you want to keep your ISO 27001, you need to work with companies who, are, who have also the same uh, the same certification. So it goes viral. And so it, you know, the level, the, it's leveling up by, uh, by virality and by the fact that, you know, top players and top customers oblige their suppliers to also be uh, on that way. But there is, again, it's like security or it's like everything. Do you do that for the practice and for the long-term uh, culture, you know, or do you do just that for the certification? So so if we go back to the culture that, that gives you the certification and the potential reward beyond that, uh, yeah, it's true that now uh, actually privacy regulations are extraterritorial. So if you want GDPR applies even outside of Europe, you know, if it's a European citizen, right? Uh, or CCPA in California applies outside California. Colopie, Colorado apply outside Colorado. And, and, and so all these regulations compete and you have to respect them all at once as an organization. So now you need to check uh, if it's a personal information, sensitive information, the nationality of the user, where the request is done, on which territory it's done, for what type of use case, what's the legal base, so many, so many things that developers don't care. Only the lawyers and, and data protection officer care. And there's a huge gap there. There's a huge gap there and we need to fill that gap. And the gateway can be one solution with something I call privacy gateways, but you can check actually the destination of the data and, and one application can access, can have an access to a database, uh, data in a database via an API, right? But for different purposes, they will, they will or they will not be allowed to do so. And so if you understand now the, the purpose of the, which is an obligation by regulation, you know, so the purpose of or where the data will be used, if the constant is valid or, you know, the, the, what we call the legal base, then you begin to have also a better view about like, you know, respect of the user, respect of the regulation, but also a better understanding about your how your IT system work, right? So uh, there are new terms coming like a purpose-based access management. It's not just the access level management, but purpose-based access management. There are many, many on your new terms. Again, it's nascent. So no, no, a few people are aware, but it's coming. It's coming. We will add more control at every layer of the uh, of software and especially 
the API layer internally on the gateway level and externally on the uh, of of course at the gateway level, but also on the developer portal and and, and stuff like that. So yeah, privacy are, are, are is coming and you learn about it before you hear about it. Yeah, it's uh, very true that like I, I've spent a bunch of time uh, in, in our team at Stoplight kind of indexing these spaces a little bit to understand, you know, uh, who are the players and man, it is frothy. Like there are so many uh, relatively young startups growing really fast, uh, but also like no clear leader at this point. So it is absolutely just a, a pony race uh, of innovation going on. And I agree, man, the next couple of years, I, I hope because the problem, let's be real, to be solved here is that all of our data is at risk. We all have skin in this game. And so like improving the security and privacy factor I think is great because it's a selfish problem for all of us. I mean, how many times have we had our data, uh, you know, compromised and stuff. So there's, there's a, a ray of hope here, a ray of hope coming. <laughs> no, you're right. But I would say knowing this industry, so many money has been so many entrepreneurs wants to build the product they want for the industry, but they, it's not that it's not yet the product the industry wants. So there is still a gap yeah. between what entrepreneurs want to do, like level up the level of ethics, you know, on, on the, in the industry. But the industry is not ready yet because the end users are not demanding it enough. Of course, we all demand it for ourselves a little bit, but really few people change provider because their data was not enough uh, respected, their constant was not enough respected. So unless there is also this end, end user and customer pressure on social media platforms, on retailers, on banks or whatever, then these actors will have issues to, to, to be successful uh, selling privacy solutions. Because if it's just a regulation that company wants to respect, they will just spend the least possible. They will just spend the least possible to get the certification and not the culture and not the practice. So it's our responsibility yeah. as individuals and citizens to, to put pressure. Yeah, I suppose uh, on a long enough timeline, everyone has an embarrassing breach that makes them uh, come to the table and ready to spend some money. But maybe we're not quite there yet. Uh, but yeah, that's I, I think that's the problem we've seen in that space too. Is like everybody's coming up with great ideas, but how do you like in the traditional business world, right? It's like uh, how does that make me more money? It's like well, you know, it's not exactly like that. You're preventing losing a bunch of money, <laughs> which is a hell of a lot harder thing to sell. So. Yeah, a, a, a French king. A French king used to say, I think it's Louis the Fourteenth, uh, prime minister, but used to say, uh, "Give me six lines written by the hand of a honest man, but I will find something to make him to make him imprisoned." You know, so uh, you know, like we all, we will always have something to uh, you know that can go against us, uh, whatever it is. So yeah, privacy is important, but uh, we need to we need to care about it. So I guess back to kind of the other thing that you touched on, it was um, event-driven architecture and, and what really has seemed to have been quite the buzz in the last year. And, and personally, I, I, I'm a little confused by it all in some ways because it's like, I feel like that was the big thing 10, 15 years ago. And like, I thought that was all settled and I thought everybody was doing that stuff already. Uh, but then all of a sudden, it seems like uh, a, a big new wave of interest. And I mean, like async API and all that. I mean, like, you know, we work with those folks where like spectral is is embedded in part of it. Like I see that having a spec format is cool, but like, why is this suddenly a, 
a big thing that everybody wants to know more about in your eyes? So there, there are a few few ways. So first, let's. I, I don't know. You remember probably the XKCD drawing, you know, about software trends. You know, architecture trends. They just come every twenty years. Uh, you know, uh, say you know, but they come with a new fashion. And actually, what 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 happens is that a new set of technologies created with a new mindset, new business mindset. Let's say remind us that twenty years ago we were doing things that were not so bad. And that were smart, but with these new technologies, they are even more possible than than uh, than before. And so the trends come back. And so it's about centralization, decentralization, centralization, decentralization, right? Monolith microservice, monolith microservice, right? Uh, it's it it will be like so. It was synchronous, asynchronous, synchronous, asynchronous, and these trends go over and over. But let's also remind that sometimes new technology enable this to happen. You know, like Docker has been, for example, like uh, you know REST JSON. So SOAP XML and all these WSR whatever security stuff was not enabling the, to the true API mindset. You know, to be open really and uh, uh, to to accomplish the SOA governance. You know, it was the SOA governance is still this idea of being able to have services open and composable, but the technology at the time couldn't do it. So finally, we find new technologies to make it happen more. So it comes back. So it always goes like that. Always goes like that. Uh, uh, new technologies enable old mindsets to finally be real, and uh, and and to continue, right? But so event-driven architecture is just following that. It's just following that pattern. Uh, we were doing it 15 years ago, 35 years ago, asynchronous communication. Uh, but also the, the network have improved a lot. The infrastructure have improved a lot. But also the business. The business is a lot more involved into uh, into uh, let's say end user uh, demands, and so the need of uh, real time. You know, uh, now we have also a lot more uh, client applications. You know, desktop, mobile, uh, third party, uh, whatever. So now being sure that the resources that are demanded are demanded by the person that really want them. Uh, uh, you know, so that's that's important. So, but it's because of that. It's because of that that now we've seen. Some classic CRUD REST style APIs, uh, uh, you know, like facing some issues or some difficulties of performance, because actually we were not able to say, okay, maybe we send too much to too many people, right? And we don't know actually if they need it, and so we have to 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 send things there when we don't know. So it's it's because of again this particular business mindset, technological advancement, and and breakthrough that finally it comes possible. Uh, you know, like a lightweight uh, uh, proxy or reverse proxy like Nginx, you know, I made made this happen too. Uh, You know, like uh, I've seen like, by the order, they talk in microseconds. I've seen demos of Nginx, they don't talk even in milliseconds, they talk about microseconds Mm -hmm. for for requests. I don't know for what use case it's, 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 uh, (laughs) it's, uh, it's, uh, it it makes sense. Real time. Yeah, Yeah, real time, real time. But, but in, in, in this uh, event-driven architecture resurgence, uh, what what is that new technology that's suddenly re-sparked all of this in your mind? I, I would not say I would not say it's a new again. It's as as I say, it's not directly a new technology making it happen. It's not directly a new technology. It's it's the evolution of infrastructure yeah. performance, the network bandwidth, and yeah. the business mindset. I think it's just this mixture, nothing new, but this mixture, and also the async API specification. That sh- at least maybe just sparkled, you know, just up, let the fire up. Say, okay, oh, we have a specification. We can align all of this finally. We can have a, a contract-driven, let's say, development. We can have a single source of truth for all this stuff, you know. 
and it's maybe just that yeah. that's what what lit the fire yeah yeah maybe so and just just for the just for the, right. just for the, the the it's not a joke but just for the story i was talking about what real time some some architect at a large social media told me you know what's real time what's how many seconds is real time and i say okay like 100 milliseconds say less than that I say okay 10 milliseconds less one millisecond less like well, 100 microseconds say less and i say zero like he told me less say what like and actually say yes actually no because he, they provision the potential action in the app so in case that it's offline they can still continue the next action you know, the provision, the next moves, potential moves. So actually, say we are below zero. We anticipate all the potential actions of the user. So we can have like one or two actions away, like chess players, right? You know, when they anticipate the moves, but they anticipate the next action. So if there is a, a network delay, they can still continue to catch up the network when the user is still using the app. So again, it's not physically real time, but on the user level, it's below zero. And I found out, wow, that's... That's scary. And this is what the, I was saying before. The use case has been driven by the business has been more important than ever. And that, uh, and I think that's really what driving event-driven architecture. Yeah, I'm going to be honest, Mehdi. This sounds like one of those San Francisco discussions uh, that, that goes beyond the, uh, the scientist in me that says the speed of light says we can't go real time. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> we 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 we're, uh, we're in podcast to tell you know side stories of the of the industry. So let's uh, let's do that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> All right. So what else do you think? Um, you know, that was I, I think kind of a top two and a half, right? If we consider security and privacy, really are different things, but part of a similar trend. Event driven architecture. We already kind of touched on how API management's changing. Um, what else do you think is is kind of a big thing that's coming? Yes, so there are two trends which are consequences of the previous trends we talked about. Uh, we talk about uh, commoditization of API gateways, uh, and so because of that, we have now specialization of specific uh, API management solution for dedicated industries like banking, insurance, supply chain, governments, where the in vendors begins to include the, of course, the gateway, the specialized gateway, but the uh, the regulation, res uh, the respect of regulation, the right security levels, the right practice, the right standards in the design tools. So the, the, really we have this specialization now because of the previous commoditization into industry-specific solutions. So that's really one trend. Pushed by regulations, because some regulation also obliged to open APIs, you know, in healthcare, in banking, and others. The other trend we see that is a consequence of what we're, we're talking about, that we have too many things on the developer, and why we put uh, DevOps like uh, infrastructure concern on the developer shoulders, security concern on the developer shoulders with DevSecOps, and and we put more and more stuff on the developer uh, shoulders because we don't have enough developers. It's just because we don't have done we don't have enough developers, so we put so many things on top of them as responsibility because they are the heart of the software production. And because we don't have enough developers, now we try to have more non-developers, but seeing being involved into building a code or building applications, uh, which is the no-code aspect, or low-code, no-code uh, trends, which is actually quite huge. Uh, we believe that we lack today 5 million developers, and we will like 8 million developers by 2030. So that's worldwide, that, that's a lot. So now a lot of APIs are published in a way 
that's it's to be used by non-developers or no coders, as <laughs> as we say, right? And now you can see now you have um, uh, like a bootcamps of no code. So you used to have bootcamps of code, how uh, how to learn I don't know React in three months, whatever. Uh, even if you're don't know about anything about software programming, but now in the same time you learn to no code or to uh, or I don't know how to say that you know uh, how to learn to know <laughs> you learn how to not code. <laughs> <laughs> you learn how to not code, but uh, no, like you know, the Notion, the Airtable, the you you can replicate the whole. Let's say uh, with the no code stack, you can replicate the whole business behavior of an application. Uh, you know that can go few hundred thousand dollars or few million dollars uh, of revenues without finally making it with with real code when developers' time and availability will be there. And so now we see lots and lots of that, lots of orchestration tools. Again, with the same that we had 10 years ago and that we had 25 years ago with, with WebSphere, IBM, and stuff like that. But now revived into more SaaS and fancy tools. Um, it's, still, it's still highly fragmented. But uh, yeah, like, but the business wanted to be, the, the business had its shadow IT for the last forever. You always did shadow IT. <laughs> Didn't want to talk to the IT people because they were already always saying no. At some point, you know, they were they had too much on their shoulders. Now they finally have a, a self-service approach where they can do something mindful for the business that the tech will still be able to replicate later, but that at least good enough security, good enough governance, good enough whatever uh, uh, practice to actually to be not a blocker. So finally, the no-code is enabling the business to 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 stop calling IT a blocker. And finally, is able to do something waiting for IT resources to be to, to be available and, and and reactive. So the no code is, is really big. This is why uh, APG acquired AppSheets a few years ago, uh, and all all the industry has now a kind of a no code aspect to onboard. And I still believe that for API management tools or API design tools, the the no, the business owner uh, needs a role, needs a place, needs to be in the discussion and in the tools. You've, you may have seen APIzer, for example, they did a tool. Gravity, I bought them, bought, bought it from them, but they did a tool just for writing not so bad <laughs> API descriptions or, or, or open API uh, specifications for tech people, but by business people, right? Uh, often, let's say, open API uh, documents that IT teams still can respect. Let's call it like that. Uh, but yeah, so this, this, this is a huge trend of be, making non-tech people involved into APIs and involved into the production, the publishing, and the promotion of APIs. Yeah, we've uh, at Stopfly, we've definitely seen this kind of stuff. Um, one, the rise of the API product manager in the last couple of years. Uh, we're seeing that title now all over the place in a way we haven't seen before. But I think more interesting is the non-technical API product manager. Traditionally, these would have been like your architects. Uh, who just, you know, got roped into writing stories. Um, I, I think now, like, we have customer stories of folks that are uh, product managers who design APIs, don't have a technical background, and with enough of, like, using spectral and linting stuff to keep the guardrails there for them so they don't, you know, they maintain consistency, that they're able to design APIs without engineering help. Um so I agree that like in the API world, we're seeing it. I think one thing I wanted to call out for the broader no code kind of deal uh, that, that you sort of said quickly, but I think is really important for folks to grasp is like, this is a good way to 
really almost have a prototype MVP, whatever you want to call it, way of building things. But it is unlikely that you're going to scale a large business on something that doesn't have any hand-touched engineered code, right? So I do think it's it's revolutionary, especially for early stage startups, uh, a world where, you know, if you're an entrepreneur with a good idea, you can go build something relatively quick, get fast validation before you make the big investment in hand-touched software. And I say all this because you meet so many developers that go like, well, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's all just going to be no code now. They're not going to need us anymore. I'm like, eh. <laughs> I don't think so. Actually, actually, the best, the, the most productive people with no code tools are developers. You know, like the one mm-hmm. who knows the code and he knows the shortcut and he knows what tools are great for and he knows where. So actually, a lot of no code tools actually are, are loved by developers because they say, oh, it was boring to do that. Right. Or, uh, you know, how many... How many front-end developers I know love Webflow and love, you know, these tools that enable them to do something really quick uh, because they know how to trick it also and how to modify it when when they do yeah. when, it, when it's wrong. So, no, and, and again, when actually it reaches limits, then you will go back to ask for real code and, you know, more degrees of liberty, more security and stuff. Uh, but, you know, again, I've seen some companies go, for, as I said, from they, they did completely solopreneurs or you know like people who no tech team in no tech guy or girl in the team at starting that's great to start you can make your first uh, uh dozens of thousand revenue without without a line of code just uh, you know google zapier yep. great google sheet integration type form uh you know like it works you you, you can do something focused on the value uh, uh there is a there, there is a great saying which is um there are some people who do technology with money, and there are some people who do money te- money with techno- uh, money with technology, right? And so I think the no code enable these second kind of players to be a lot more yep. free, you know, to be a lot more free to to try and, and and do and do things. I would just argue that in the enterprise level, at the enterprise level, the no code has still has some issues, and now we can of you know security governance because business people don't know what is a scope, you know, when they put data on Airtable. They put everything. Uh, <laughs> they put everything, and when they allow an application to access to this Airtable database, they give a scope all. They give like, okay, you can access to everything. Wow, no, 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 it doesn't work like that here. Uh, so now we see these new solutions to help manage security and governance and permissions on top of no-code tools. So we see a new software layer on top of no-code <laughs> to allow business people to use no-code, but in the realm of IT. So no, no-code is not this shadow IT part. Yeah. Now, no code is being more and more included into the IT realm, into the IT boundaries. So now IT is applying the role to no code tools. Yeah, I like that you mentioned all this no code stuff in the same breath as specialization. Um, Like in the aggregator space of like, we have the one API to do all the things. I mean, I always tell people like that is a road littered with bodies. Lots of people have tried that and failed. But I think what we're seeing traction now is as you said, kind of banking specific or healthcare specific, things like that. That's an interesting combination uh, of, you know, I have one way to go sort of access these capabilities without knowing all the different APIs uh, quite as well that I can use from no code, low code tools. Uh, I think there's a big power combo in there for sure. Well, look, Mehdi, uh, I really appreciate you sharing kind of, uh, you know, everything you've seen from the road. And uh, and I know you're just a busy, chatty, social network building guy by by nature. 
so thanks so much for sharing all this stuff with us. Um, for listeners who kind of want to hear from you more, learn from you more, uh, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Medjawi, M-E-D-J-A-W-I-I. Uh, it's easier to pronounce for uh, for uh, English natives, uh, but not so easy, but at least uh, I, I tried. Uh, I tried and yeah, on link, my LinkedIn profile or uh, or, or on, on my uh, different email address that you can find on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, yeah, um, uh, you can reach me. Or at any PIA conference. I, I'm, I'm, I'm attending all of them. So, or any actually, any, any API conference I, I go. Yeah, that is true. It's hard to miss you when you go to an API conference. <laughs> well, thanks again, man. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you. API Intersection podcast listeners are invited to sign up for Stoplight and save up to $650. Use the code Intersection10 to get 10% off a new subscription to Stoplight Platform Starter or Pro. Take a look at this episode's description for more details.